Welcome to Audiobook Test Drive. In today's episode, we are featuring an excerpt from Mistress Stephanie Strays, A Tale of Polyamorous Domination and Submission, written by Jim Lyon. Polyamorous Femdom, Hawaiian Style After inheriting her namesake aunt's estate, Stephanie leaves the bohemian life in Portland behind and heads to her new home in Hawaii. Upon arriving in Kona, Stephanie learns that her aunt and she had more in common than anyone would have ever guessed. Along with the house came four live-in servants who had been her aunt's longtime submissives. While Stephanie has been a practicing dom for years, taking on four complete strangers as service submissives proves to be a daunting task. And now for your listening pleasure. An excerpt from Mistress Stephanie's Strays. Chapter 2 Lorelai was busy working on her computer when I walked into her office unannounced. She turned toward me and smiled. Hello, stranger. What brings you to Kona, a.k.a. the closest thing to modern civilization on the big island, she quipped. I was going stir-crazy in Shangri-La and needed a change of scenery, I replied wryly. I'm starting to realize that a little bit of kinky utopia goes a long way. Lorelai laughed good-naturedly, then told me, I can see how that might be the case, particularly since you've taken on four submissives at once that you didn't personally choose. Stephanie brought them on board one at a time over a period of years, so it was a lot easier for her to deal with. Plus, she was the one who initiated the relationship with each of them in the first place. I'm not ready to bail after only three months, I said. Becoming acclimated to this new lifestyle is a process. I'm not unhappy so much as I crave something more in my life. Some days I'm a queen in my realm enjoying a very kinky retinue. And other days I feel like a mother who has a curiously incestuous relationship with her adult children. There's never any drama. All of my subs are well-behaved, shower me with attention, and satisfy my every carnal desire. And yet, I'm restless and sometimes get bored with our routine, despite the fact that I have almost more kinkiness than I can handle in my life. I presume you didn't come here just for a sympathetic ear, Lorelai interjected. How can I help? Funny you should ask. I responded, repressing a broad grin. I think what I need most of all is to socialize with some dominant men and women with similar sensibilities as my own. Holding Lorelai's gaze and giving her a knowing look, I got right to the heart of the matter and said, It doesn't seem likely that my aunt would choose a lawyer to handle her highly unusual estate who wasn't intimately involved in her world. So, if I'm right about that, it stands to reason that you may be in a position to provide me with an entree into the local underground BDSM scene. What are your thoughts on that, Lorelai? As dinner was winding down, I tapped a butter knife on the edge of my wine glass several times to get everyone's attention. When all eyes were directed at me, I launched into my announcement. I want to talk to you about some plans that I'm working on. Over a period of time, my aunt sought you all out and invited you to help bring life to her evolving vision of a polyamorous household with her at its center. 
Now that I've been here for several months, it has become clear to me that overseeing this ohana is all-consuming. Whereas it is tremendously exciting to function in the wonderfully kinky role she created, I have come to realize that her idea of the ultimate lifestyle is not as fulfilling for me as it was for her. While I paused for a moment, looks of concern appeared on the faces of my audience. Picking up the thread, I continued, Don't worry, I'm not contemplating dismantling what we have here. Rather, I'm looking into ways to morph this situation into one that more satisfies my needs and enhances yours as well. What sort of things do you have in mind? Tony asked. What is lacking here that prevents you from being completely happy? Molly wanted to know. Well, the answers to your questions are intertwined and somewhat complicated. This is a self-contained environment in which there is little interaction with the outside world. As much as I enjoy being the queen bee and all the kinky activities that come with it, I need a more balanced life that includes people and interest outside of this special place. I would also like some help attending to your needs so it doesn't stop being fun and become onerous for me. Think about it. There are four of you and only one of me. I sometimes wonder how Aunt Stephanie managed to do it alone for so long and what motivated her to want to. One thing I want to address is having some alone time away from here. Since I'm new to Hawaii, I'm going to start by exploring this island and all the others. That seems like it should be very enjoyable and keep me out of trouble for a while. Periodically, I may even take one or more of you with me on my adventures. I'm sure getting out once in a while wouldn't hurt any of you. The concern on my personal servants' faces began to fade, replaced with expressions of interest and amusement. You may be aware that Lorelei is a DNS devotee, though you may not know that her leanings are more aligned with yours than they are with mine. Since she is active in the local BDSM community, she has agreed to let me tag along with her to private parties and such, and introduced me to other local dominants. If things work out as I hope they will, I may meet some simpatico souls interested in coming here to play with us. Eventually, I hope to host my own private kinky gatherings here. Peter, would you like having an opportunity to cater a party and show off your culinary skills? I must admit that does sound appealing. Are we talking hors d'oeuvres? A sit-down dinner and dessert? He replied, his face becoming animated with excitement. I hadn't really thought that far ahead. I suppose it depends on the number of guests. If the event is large enough, buffet style might be necessary. No matter what size the party is, we'll also need cocktail waitresses, serving wenches, eye candy, and compliant submissives for mutually enjoyable perversions. If you have any hard limits, this is the time to let me know what they are so we can avoid any awkwardness. We don't want any drama to create a buzzkill for our guest or us. It is supposed to be a fun and happy occasion after all. Each member of my little family smiled and nodded in agreement. While I awaited an update from Lorelai on her progress with arranging my debut into Hawaiian BDSM society, I set off on the first leg of my adventures as a tourist. I opted for what the local tourist industry had coined a staycation 
and booked a room at a five-star resort in Kona for a couple of days with the intent of experiencing Hawaii like a mainlander on vacation would. It was a good thing I was getting the Kama Aina rate because it was an ultra-luxury facility situated beachside on prime real estate in the heart of town. One of the beauties of living in or visiting Hawaii is that you don't need much of a wardrobe since the weather is almost always balmy and the culture is so laid back a pair of shorts a cotton top and sandals constitutes appropriate attire in most situations so i was traveling light with just a small suitcase and an overnight case after checking into my room around noon i started investigating the grounds to drink in the romanticized hawaiian ambiance that the resort had meticulously created Although I was enjoying the idyllic vision of the tropics cultivated by carefully positioned and manicured flowers and palm trees accentuating the horizonless pool, tiki bar, and stunning view of the Pacific Ocean, the cynic in me knew that it was all an illusion, that I was being manipulated into a dreamy sense of awe. But I went with it anyway, as I knocked back a couple of Mai Tais poolside while listening to the piped-in Hawaiian slack-key guitar music enjoying the soft trade winds and getting a good buzz going. I soon concluded that if there was such a place as paradise, surely it was not too different than this. After my Mai Tai buzz wore off, I decided to indulge in the popular tourist pastime of shopping. Bypassing the chic boutiques in the lobby, I hit the streets of Kona to see what the local competition had to offer. Before I got too far, I realized it was closing in on two o'clock and I hadn't eaten lunch yet. So I put the shopping impulse on hold and set about finding sustenance with local flair, finally settling on a plate lunch stand with a few outdoor tables. While hardly on the level of Peter's daily fare, the teriyaki chicken plate with two scoops of rice and a side of macaroni salad I ordered was very soul satisfying and provided the necessary fuel to sustain me for the shopping journey ahead. During the next few hours, I wandered in and out of numerous tourist traps and boutiques offering to sell me a wide variety of Hawaiian-themed clothes, jewelry, postcards, paintings, and gigaws, some of which I actually purchased as gifts for friends and relatives on the mainland. I had been on the lookout for gifts to buy for my staff, but nothing jumped out and said, buy me until I stumbled upon an artsy little shop called Jules Jewelry near the end of a side street. As I peeked at the window display, trying to decide whether or not to go in, a collection of unusual pieces caught my eye. I rang the bell as a small sign on the door instructed, and within 20 seconds or so, I could see a middle-aged woman of indeterminate Asian ethnicity emerging from the back room. Jewel opened the door wide and gestured for me to enter, a warm smile on her face as she said, Aloha, please come in. Thank you, I replied. I'd like to take a look at that collection of black and gold jewelry featuring the female symbol with the yin-yang design inside the circle. Her eyes seemed to twinkle as she responded, You have very good taste. I call that design Island Goddess. Come over to the counter and I will set them out for you to look at. There were five pieces in the collection. The one I was considering buying for myself was a signet ring with a large rendition of the dynamic symbol in the center, bracketed by small opals on both sides. 
I tried it on and immediately fell in love with the way it looked on my hand. The earrings featured much smaller versions of the themed design than the ring and were absent the opals. I envisioned Tony wearing them and asked the woman to hold one against her ear so I could see how it looked in context. It contrasted nicely against her skin, which was similar in color to Tony's Café Olay hue. Next came the bracelet. It was fairly narrow with numerous island goddess symbols side by side, every third one of which was separated by an opal of comparable size. Despite the gemstones, the bracelet had an overall androgynous rather than feminine effect. This suited my plans perfectly since I wanted something for Peter that would match his persona. Molly came to mind the moment I saw the anklet. Although it was similar to the bracelet in its overall design, it was more delicate and feminine. I could easily picture it complementing the graceful floral tattoo ringing her ankle. There was no question that the choker was made for Louise's neck. Like her, it was sturdy, yet attractive. In most respects, it looked like a larger version of the bracelet, with the single exception being the outsized signature design element positioned front and center. Although it is common practice with many locals, I didn't have any desire to haggle over the price, particularly since I could easily afford it with my newly inherited wealth. I arranged to have all the gifts engraved with the recipient's first name, plus the inscription, From S. Given the cost of the order, Jewel was highly motivated to have them engraved and ready for pickup the next day. I awoke with a sense of anticipation because my itinerary that day included a visit to Hawaii Volcanoes National Park. After a quick shower and a buffet breakfast on the resort's ocean view lanai, I tossed my hiking gear in the back of my SUV and headed for the highway. As I left the town behind, I once again observed that despite Hawaii being a tropical island, mostly it does not resemble the classic image of the tropics popularized by Hollywood. Palm trees in areas of lush tropical vegetation are practically anomalies. The majority of the natural landscape and flora does not appear to be significantly different than what is found along the California coast. Parts of the stretch of road I was driving on were cut through past lava flows. Large swaths of land on both sides of the road resembled moonscapes with occasional remnants of burnt trees sticking out through cracks in solidified lava. In areas where the flows were more recent, the stench of sulfur replaced the tropical bouquet that normally perfumes the air throughout the islands. When I finally arrived at the park, it was nearly noon, so I dug out the bento box and juice I had picked up on my way out of Kona and lunched under a conveniently located shade tree. After my short repast, I spent the next few hours experiencing some of the park's offerings. My first adventure was a tour of a lava tube. Walking through a natural underground tunnel where molten lava had flowed on its way to the ocean evoked a childlike sense of wonder in me which interfered somewhat with my ability to concentrate as the guide droned on about the history of the island's volcanic activity and the myth of Pele, the Hawaiian volcano goddess. Later, I went hiking atop a volcano crater that seemed to go on forever. Like the areas covered by lava that I had passed while driving to the park, the crater had a barren moonscape feel to it. The large expanse of relatively flat, solidified lava was riddled with fissures, some of which were active steam vents spewing their vapors into the atmosphere. 
there's a pervasive, primeval quality to both active and dormant volcanoes that makes it impossible to avoid acknowledging the power of nature and one's own insignificance in relation to it. As I headed back to town, I knew I would be returning to this eerily fascinating place many times in the coming years. During the evening, my tourist activities were a little more conventional. They started out with a sunset cruise that included a fairly entertaining show featuring a trio singing traditional Hawaiian songs, accompanied by a steel and slack key guitar and ukulele, followed by a troupe of male and female Hawaiian dancers in grass skirts performing energetically on stage and up and down the aisles to the driving beat of various drums and other percussion instruments. To create a festive mood, some of the male dancers wore cheesy long wigs and faux bras made from half coconuts while goofing with each other and some audience members. The finale, of course, was the sun slowly descending over the Pacific Ocean and causing the water to shimmer spectacularly until the last vestiges of its source of light was extinguished. What Hawaiian vacation would be complete without a luau? As soon as the boat landed, the other passengers and I were escorted to a private beach where a Kalua pig wrapped in tea leaves was baking in a pit. While we feasted on that and a variety of other Hawaiian delicacies and availed ourselves of the open bar, the trio from the boat serenaded us until late in the evening. Without question, a good time was had by all. I got busted trying to slip into my house undetected. Peter, Tony, Molly, and Louise were all waiting in the foyer to welcome me home and help put my luggage and shopping booty away. After I had been properly hugged and kissed, I figured it was a good time to distribute the gifts that I had purchased. Before they could start picking up the things I had set down on the floor during the group greeting, I said, as you can see, I did some shopping while I was out exploring. Most of it is touristy stuff for family and friends back home, but I also picked up something special for each of you. Tony, please hand me that bag with the purple stripes. I dug around in the bag until I found the box for Tony, then handed it to him. To keep things rolling, I gave each of the others their gift before removing my own box and setting the bag on the floor. They're not going to open themselves, I joked. Let's see what the tourist fairy brought you. Giggling like children, they started to carefully untie the diaphanous bows and open the fancy silver foil boxes to see what was inside. It was a joy to watch the reaction each of them had when they opened their present. Whatever lingering anxiety they had about the death of Aunt Stephanie and the changes that had taken place since seemed to have evaporated. I got one for myself as well, I announced, holding my hand out so they could see my new ring. Go ahead and put yours on. I want to see how they look on you. One by one, they placed the new pieces of jewelry on their bodies and displayed them for all to see. As I watched them happily admiring the items I had selected, I realized that the transition from Aunt Stephanie to me was complete. I was truly their permanent mistress now, for better or worse. While it had been a refreshing change to be away for a couple of days, it was nice to be back with my kinky lovers. Even though it had only been two days since my last play session, in that short time I had already begun to miss the steady diet of kink I was accustomed to. 
Indeed, naughty scenarios had been running through my mind ever since I checked out of the resort. After everything was put away, I tracked down my maid and led him to my boudoir to satisfy the need that had been building up inside me. My pussy twitched in anticipation as I secured the face dildo at the back of Tony's neck. There was something wonderfully decadent and debauched about the image he presented, a totally feminized and neutered male with long and beautiful golden hair sporting an enormous dildo on his face. Yum, yum. In my ever-growing lust, I nearly threw him on the bed and immediately climbed atop the obscene phallus he wore for my pleasure. No foreplay, no warm-up, no anything. My pussy was already amply lubricated, and I just got on and rode that sucker for all I was worth. I didn't even pause when the first orgasm radiated through my body. It wasn't until my third climax hit that my sexual hunger started to dissipate. From then on, I fucked Tony's face in a languid and sensual manner, often simply rocking gently back and forth, enjoying the fullness in my womb as well as the delicious friction on my clitoris that the dildo provided. Afterwards, laying on the bed, my body tingling in the afterglow, I mused on how I was not unlike a junkie finally getting a fix after jonesing for a period of time. It also struck me as somewhat humorous that being a sex addict in this situation was practically a necessity rather than self-destructive behavior. Perhaps I should write a self-help book proselytizing the therapeutic value of polyamory. We hope you enjoyed listening to this excerpt from Mistress Stephanie's Strays. If you would like to hear the entire audiobook, it can be purchased at Amazon.com, Audible.com, and iTunes.com.